I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, guys, I've been using my time at home to do lots of fun interviews, and today I have one of the best players in Magic. Uh, Luis Scott Vargas is here to join us. Hey, Luis. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Good. So um, I'm going to start with the question I ask everybody. How did you learn to play Magic? How did you get into Magic? Uh, me and my friend Seth, when we were in the fifth grade, we bought a starter deck of Revised and two packs of the Dark each, and uh, muddled our way through a bunch of games without knowing the rules, and it just kind of captured me ever since. Was, were those the sets on sale at the time, or were they older sets that you bought? Like, when was no, those, this? Those were, those were the sets on sale at the time. I, I remember very distinctly uh, a couple weeks after when I was starting to really get into it, saving up for a pack of Legends, which was an old set at that point, or older, a year mm-hmm. old, whatever. And then when the store ran out, they never got another pack in. So <laughs> that pack of Legends never materialized. Yeah, so 94. So you started playing in 94. Yeah, in 94. Okay, so fifth grade. So... How did you go from playing in fifth grade and not necessarily knowing the rules to actually like starting to play competitively? How, what was that transition? <laughs> it was a long one. My uh, The first competitive tournament I played it was in 2003. So I, I didn't actually really compete until basically I was in college and I had stopped playing Magic for a couple years actively. And at one point I wandered into a card shop. They were going to draft in like an hour and... That, that's kind of where it went. I, I started drafting on Wednesdays. Then I started drafting on Wednesdays and Fridays. Then the, the 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 guys at the card shop were like, hey, you should come to this PTQ. And I'm a pretty competitive person. And it did not take long for me to get hooked on the like, oh, wow, I could win a PTQ and play on the Pro Tour. All right, I want to do that. <laughs> now, had you drafted before that or that your very first draft? No, I, I had drafted quite a bit. I, 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 I used to play a lot. Actually... <laughs> The reason I took a break from Magic was in high school, my parents got concerned about my grades, which were actually suffering as a result of Magic. I, I, me, I mean, I think you, you know what this is like to pour your whole like mind into something. Mm-hmm. Magic has always been like that for me. So when I needed to focus on school, which I'm, I'm glad I did, uh, I had to kind of like walk away from Magic for a little bit in order to make space for, for learning other things. Okay, so you start playing at PTQs. So what was the space of time between playing in PTQs and actually going to a PT? What, what, was, the, what was your first PT? <laughs> uh, it, it was about a year later. Uh, I, started, I started playing PTQs in 2003. And then in 2004, there was a pro tour in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Northern California at the time. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is a, a pro tour in California. That sounds awesome. I want to play in that. And uh, I had never really considered flying to a tournament before that. I actually top eight at a PTQ for uh, the PT in New Orleans, I want to say, mm-hmm. and ended up deciding that I didn't want to fly to a tournament. So I didn't win the PTQ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so San Diego was your first. How'd you do your first PT? Uh, I went eight and seven, and I was very happy with that. I made day two. Mm-hmm. I had uh, more wins than losses. I didn't win any money or anything, but... I played against a bunch of awesome players, uh, felt like I could hold my own. Like I actually felt, even though I didn't do like fantastically, I felt that I, I had a really good shot in every match I played. I didn't I didn't feel like I didn't belong there. Okay, so what was your first top eight? Uh, my first top eight was Berlin in 2008, so that, four years later. Okay, oh, your first top eight was your first win? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, I, and I've never gotten back there since actually. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I ended up, it, it's funny how these things work where going into Berlin, I was it was like near the end of the season. Uh, it was the second year I had played professional Magic. Like I consider myself a Magic pro starting in 2007. That was the first year I played all the pro tours mm-hmm. and kind of got a pro level as a result. 
end of 2008, I, I wasn't doing well that season. And I thought, hey, you know, maybe it's time to move on to something else. Uh, ended up squeaking into top eight on tiebreakers at 12 and four, winning the Pro Tour. And uh, that opened a lot of doors and well, I haven't left since. Okay, so one of the things is, I mean, there's a couple of different places this goes. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to pick some and we'll, we can backtrack. <laughs> so one of them I know in 2009, you launched Channel Fireball. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was, I, I was working for a, a card store slash website in Northern California called uh, Adventures in Cards and Comics. Uh, great friends with the owner, Avram. He took a chance on me and Paul Cheon in 2006 when no one had any idea who we were and we were going to nationals and he sponsored us. And that was like a pretty big deal to us. But uh, in 2009, uh, John Sassa, who's the, the owner of Channel Fireball now and was the owner of Superstars of Sports back then, had an idea for this visionary magic website that would make draft videos, which at the time weren't even really a thing. Yeah. And I, I, I bought into his vision. I thought he had a good thing going. And we ended up launching Channel Fireball in 2009, kind of right after I uh, top-aided Pro Tour Kyoto, where I lost Tennessee from the finals. I want to, I want to, uh, I'm a huge pun fan. And it took me years to get that Channel Fireball was a pun, sadly. <laughs> yes, the, the, the original logo had a TV because it was channel, like a TV channel. Yeah. And then Channel Fireball, of course, the, the magic combo. Yeah. One of the first magic combos. There's not many older than that one. <laughs> that, yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, there, there's other alpha combos, but that, that is right. probably the, the classic. I mean, there's a few other famous early ones. But yeah, that is a, probably, probably the most powerful win the game combo, I guess. Okay, so... Um, okay, so you start doing um, Channel Fire, but it means you start writing articles, doing videos. Um, so there's an interesting track right here that starts to happen. Part of your life is you're, you're still a pro player. You're, you're playing on pro tours, and you're also kind of a, becoming a personality, becoming a, a, a magic. So which path do you want to go down first? Well, it's funny because I, I've always considered those two paths. They are different, but linked, because even before Channel Fireball, I wrote for Star City Games. Uh, I'd made videos for adventures, and uh, I always saw, thought, saw the job as a pro magic player as not fully complete <laughs> without doing something else. And it made so much sense to make content because you're already spending all this time thinking about magic, playing magic. And it's a way to kind of kind of have your cake and eat it too, where you get to write articles about your, your process and your decks and all that. And then you also get to use those in the tournaments and hopefully both of those can provide you with a bit of security. Yeah, one of the things I know that's one of the weird things for pro players who write is there's this tension between wanting to provide interesting content and not kind of giving away your tech, if you will. You know, that you want to sort of share what you're doing, but, you know, there, there is a competitive edge when you're, when you're a good player. How did you balance that? I, I've always been much more on the side of just writing what I want to write about and not worrying too much about it. It changes kind of based on how I'm preparing for the event. If I'm preparing with a team of other players, I don't feel it. I, it's my place to, to write about a deck we're all playing because that can put them at a disadvantage. Whereas I'm perfectly fine taking that risk myself because I've always felt... I don't know. I feel like some portion of it is responsibility to people who are reading. I would never want to write something that wasn't true. But part of it is I just think it is more interesting. Like you said, it's more exciting to share like breaking news. And I've actually kind of liked the move to open deck lists at tournaments recently, which has mm -hmm. kind of happened out of necessity, thanks to everything <laughs> being online now. But I like it because I get to post my deck list as soon as they're turned in and I get to talk about you know, all, all the different things that go into it. And that gives people up-to-date information where they can play the same deck I'm playing in a Pro Tour in a PTQ that same weekend because I've already written about the deck. So do you find... Being a magic celebrity, if you will, you know, being someone that that's, that's, people know, 
um, is a weird thing. I mean, I, obviously, I, I have some firsthand experience here, but um, so what? What is it like? So you you spend a lot of time sort of getting out there, letting people sort of you know be a conduit to 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 magic. Um, share a little bit. What what is that like interacting with the public in a way where they just know who you are? It, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of people have started to. It, like the the term parasocial relationship has started to become more more widely known mm-hmm. where you know and I know you know what this is like too where people feel like they have they know you because they've listened to you talk for hundreds of hours or watched your videos or watched your stream and it's not it, it it's a sort of thing where I I I it doesn't really like bother me I like parts of it and and parts of it can be a little a little interesting uh one thing that it is kind of made me feel is I'm glad I'm not a real celebrity. Like I'm not, you know, a, a movie star who who walks out onto the street and people want to take pictures with them because I don't know about you, but that's that's not my life. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of magic fans. There's not that many magic fans. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would really not like having, you know, going to grab a bite to eat and have people like kind of kind of uh, wanting to talk to you there. That, that would feel pretty weird to me. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, uh, I think it's fun when I go to magic events that there is a certain amount, you know, like you get to be the celebrity, but then if that was me at the grocery store, if that like if that was all the time everywhere, oh my, I, I don't know how I would handle that. That that really made me understand like what a, a a truly famous person must go through. Yeah, and I've had a couple, you know, I've had a, a couple dozen experiences where someone recognized me outside of a magic context, but it's rare enough that it's cool and it's not like invasive, you know, so... I really like it. Uh, the thing I like most about what I do is when people say, hey, I got into magic because of you or I had quit magic, but your videos got me back in or you have made me enjoy magic more. That's the part that I think is the most fun about it, because what I do somehow made someone's life like a little bit happier. And that, and that that is there's not really a much higher compliment you can get than that. OK, so while we're talking about stuff you're doing, I need to bring up um, limited resources. So you, you have a podcast that you do. Uh now, how, how did that come about? How did you end up on that? Uh, so Marshall and I have been friends ever since uh, kind of like the, actually the Magic Cruise, the one uh, in 2012, I think it was. We were on the Magic Cruise together and we played in the Community Cup together, the, mm-hmm. the like, Magic Online Community Cup. And then, of course, we've since then also done many hundreds of hours of coverage in the booth together. Mm-hmm. And at one point, um, Brian Wong had decided his time with the podcast was done. He wanted to move on to other things. Mm-hmm. And I knew Marshall was looking for a co-host. So I asked him, hey, you, you, do you want me to be on the show? And it's funny because I feel like the the new guy. I feel like the new co-host. But I'm actually the, the longest running one, except for, of course, Marshall at yeah. this point. Yeah. Since I've been on for seven years now, which it feels like feels like it's been a year. I don't know. It's crazy how time works in some of this stuff. Yeah, for, for the audience that might not know this, uh, explain what limited, real quick what Limited Resources is. What, yeah. what, what kind of podcast is it? Limited Resources is a weekly podcast, uh, kind of nominally about limited, but we, we, we as podcasts, <laughs> do talk about life, other parts of magic, what, you know, kind of a, a lot of what we feel like talking about. But our main focus really is trying to give people actionable advice to, to get better at limited and to make better decisions. So that's that's kind of where, where how we approach things and... Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love doing it. Okay, so um, let's let's go a little bit to the other path, the 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 pro player path. So let's talk a little bit about what what that was like. So you win your first top eight is uh, you win in Berlin, but that's the first of what ten top eights. Yeah, it's it's ten now, and then whatever the like 
Zendikar Championship. I, I, I don't know. The systems have changed a lot in the last couple of years. I top eight at a premiere event recently. I don't really know what that means in terms of <laughs> that sort of thing. But yeah, I've, I've, I've had good fortune, been in the right place at the right time. And I think I know how to play cards. So I've, I've gotten some, some top eights as a result. So what, so for, I mean, uh, so what, 2013, you made the Hall of Fame. So let's talk a little bit about your sort of rise in magic. Um, what, what is that like? I mean, you, I mean, by any accounts, you were one of the best players to ever play magic. I mean, you know, there's arguments about, you can rank the top people and never, you know, but, um, you're, you're clearly in the top echelon, you know, uh, um, Sort of like you said, you started playing competitively, and then sort of you started paying more attention. And then talk a little bit about that—that that sort of rise up the ladder of of being a pro player. It it's funny. It, uh, I I feel like there was a lot of like exit opportunities for me, but they never materialized. And I'm I'm really glad they didn't. I I feel like I'm happier doing this than almost anything else I could be doing. But uh, the big one that really put me on this path was I qualified for nationals in 2006. And this is back when U.S. nationals was like a really big deal. You know, this is all the best players in the U.S. coming. And there was a big prize. You got to be on the national team and represent the U.S. at the world championships. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tried to cancel my flight there because mm -hmm. I decided I just didn't really want to play Magic competitively. I decided, yeah, that maybe this isn't for me. I don't know. I, I, I've gone back and forth, you know, in terms of committing to this. Mm -hmm. And uh they wouldn't give me my money back. So I, I said, all right, well, I'll get on the airplane. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting third. And uh, my best friend, Paul Chion, got first, who now you're, now one of your coworkers, actually. Yes. And, what, uh, what, what, year, what year was that? 2006. 2006. Okay. So that was both of our first breakout performances. And we got to be on the team together, uh, along with Ben Lunk, who's another good friend of ours, and who actually also works at Wizard now. now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, my, my time is limited, apparently. But uh, yeah. we, we, we went to Paris. Did badly, but you know, at that point, I had the bug, and I really decided that I was going to take a year. I just graduated from college that same year to figure out if this was going to be for me, and ended up, you know, doing well enough in 2007 to to get the equivalent of platinum for that year, and that kind of set things in motion. Where then in 2008, I won the Pro Tour, and at that point, you know, we launched Channel Fireball, and I, I followed it up with like a second place finish in Kyoto, and I was. You know, pretty firmly ensconced into wanting to compete professionally and yeah, do the best I could. A lot of that was about wanting to prove myself. And I have this competitive urge when I wasn't playing competitive magic, I was playing competitive street fighter. Like mm -hmm. I, there's something about uh, competing against other people that really drives me. And, and it's something that I, I think I need, you know, to some degree. So, um, so as, as there was one point I know, uh, one of the things about being a professional player is you get there's some some hot and coldness that goes on, right? There's there's seasons where you do real well, and then seasons where you kind of struggle. Um, I know, and you, I know early on you had you had some hot and cold seasons. Um, what what was it that sort of kept you around? I know, I know that uh, like one one of the things that's interesting of watching Magic is like you have this drive to compete, obviously. Um, but what was it? What about Magic? Like, what is it about Magic that sort of why is that the thing you choose to compete at? Well, I mean, part of it, I think, is my aptitude for it. Like, I, I clearly, you know, something about the game speaks to me and where I understand it well. Like, I, I'm not I'm not arrogant enough to, to think that I would be the best at anything I tried. It, it so happens that Magic, you know, pushes my buttons the right way and I understand it. The other is I think it's the best game ever made. Like, I think that Magic has this combination of luck, skill, new content every couple months, uh, infinite combinations, like all of that together means it's this like 
infinite process of exploration and discovery that I just don't get tired of. Like, and, and yeah, sometimes there's like lulls, like actually right now, right before you know, call time comes out, there's a couple of magic formats that I'm not really interested in playing because it's been the same cards for a couple months. They've mm-hmm. kind of been explored, but guess what? In like two weeks or whatever, we're going to have all these new puzzles to kind of decipher and figure out and, and understand. And something about that has always made me really like it's, it's always captured me. And even when I wasn't playing competitively, even when I was, you know, a teenager in high school, just spending hours upon hours, just thinking about magic and building bad decks and all that stuff. Like I didn't need an end goal besides that itself. So you mentioned uh, commentating. Let's talk a little bit about commentating because that's one of the other, one of the many hats that you've done. Um, (laughs) How'd you get into commentating and what, what, how do you feel about commentating? Uh, So I got my break into commentating uh, because Rich Hagon and BDM uh, asked me to be in the booth with them for the Pro Tour Finals in, I want to say 2013, like Pro Tour Gatewatch, I think might have been the first time. Uh, And then that went pretty well. It was really fun commentating with those two guys. They're they're excellent at their their job. Uh, And uh, then I, you know, was hired on to, to do Worlds. I wasn't qualified for Worlds that year, so I went and Marshall and Zach Hill and Rashad and Sheldon are among the folks who I remember working with that year. Uh, at some point, uh, Greg Collins, of course, starts to, to, mm-hmm. to be in charge of all this. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't know as much about the organization when I first joined, so I, mm-hmm. I could be getting some of the names wrong in terms of what they were doing. But And then from then, I was a kind of a, a mainstay in terms of I always did the Pro Tour finals. And then eventually what we kind of transitioned into was if I didn't make top eight of the Pro Tour, I would come in and be in the booth on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I got prepared for this by the fact that I'd been doing draft videos for four or five years at that point. And, you know, now streams, I guess. Like, what sitting there talking about magic was something that came naturally to me. And uh, I can react pretty quickly to what's going on. So I'm able to keep up with the game, though. Many players make it kind of easy because people don't tend to play that fast. <laughs> when you're watching, the, the, the higher the stakes, the slower the plays is what I've found. But I've, at this point, done many, many hours of commentating. Not as much recently, every now and then, but... You know, I, sometimes I do more of one thing, sometimes I do more of another. I mean, I took a year off to do commentary in 2016, actually. So I spent mm-hmm. that year doing commentary instead of playing. So what, for the people that, that have never uh, done commentary, what is the hardest part about doing commentary, you think? The hardest part is that walking into the booth, you have to have this pretty vast reservoir of knowledge to be able to do your job, to be able to competently commentate. And that... And so commentators come in kind of like two flavors. There's two there's two roles, at least. Mm-hmm. That's how magic is set up. And that's how many sports broadcasts are set up. There's a reason for this. It's the play-by-play commentator who's kind of narrating what is happening. And then there's like the color commentator or the analyst who's kind of telling you the like whys and explaining the bigger picture and context. And mm-hmm. I tend to be in the analyst role. I have done a fair amount of play-by-play, but, you know, usually I'm better suited for the color commentary role. In both roles, you have to just know all this stuff because you don't have time to like look it up or think of it. It's kind of like if you watch, you know, if you watch someone commentating basketball, you watch a basketball game, the play-by-play commentator is not looking up who the players are. They know everything about every player on the court, all of their stats. And maybe when like one of the third string guys comes in, they might not know quite as much about them. But you can tell they just know like tons about every single person who's playing. And uh, Magic is kind of like that. You have to know every card in every deck and you have to know what matters in all the matchups. And then you also have to talk about what's actually happening and why it might be happening. So there's a lot of um, prerequisites to doing it. But I've also found that once you get there, you can pick up commentary and 
kind of go back to it, even if you haven't been super current, as long as you spend some time familiarizing yourself with what's going on. Yeah, the, the thing I find interesting about commentary is a lot of commentary is making sure the audience understands what's really going on. Because Magic, uh, back when I, 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 I used to come here a long, long time ago, I was, I was not very good at it, but uh, one of the challenges was the director used to always, because I was the producer as well as the commentator, the producer never understood, like, he didn't know Magic. And so he was always talking to me and, like, nothing can be going on on the table, yet all sorts of things are going on. Or lots can be going on the table and nothing's really happening. Uh, and that trying to communicate to the audience, like, like one of my favorite... Uh, yeah, I see about your favorite comment. My favorite commentating moment of all time was um, it was Brian Weissman and um, um, Chris Bakula doing. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. It was U.S. Nationals '97 or '98. Yeah, it was Lindy uh, versus Mike Long, right? Yeah, That's it's Lindy versus Mike Long, and the funny thing was uh, they're playing like multiple football fields away. And they, they did a really good job of setting up what was going on in the match. And basically, it's like, if Lindy drew a certain card, he was going to win. And nobody wanted Mike Long to win. He was, you know, the, the, the villain of all villains. <laughs> and he, like, draws the card he needs. And the, player, the commentators done a great job of making the audience understand that this was the moment. If he drew the card, this was the thing. And there's this tiny window that, you know, Mike could lose. And Mike was going to win the game unless, at this moment, this card got drawn. And he drew it. And they screamed so loud, Mike knew he had drawn the card even though he was like four football fields away. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it was a band. Mike Long was playing like yeah, yeah. back and I think, and what Lindy was playing uh, White Weenie. There was a video, like a, a cassette tape of mm. the, of this, this nationals that yeah. I guess got put together. And we would always watch it the, the, the night before PTQs actually. And I remember they're interviewing Matt Lindy and he's just like, yeah, we, we tested so much for this event. Me, me and my buddies, we worked on this White Weenie list for hours. <laughs> <laughs> It was just—it was amazing. I, I love that video. Okay, so what is your favorite? What, from what's your all-time, what's your all-time favorite commentating moment in Magic? My all-time favorite commentating moment—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's not quite as serious, but it's really funny. Uh, so there's a running joke uh, with Marshall. Is it there? Basically, at one point, he was doing commentary, and some disgruntled Twitter user, or otherwise known as a Twitter user, <laughs> ca ca called him a. a, a a high functioning chimp because they said they didn't like his commentary. Mm -hmm. And me being the good friend I am, of course, brought that up many, many <laughs> times. And so we all make ape jokes and, you know, about, about mm -hmm. Marshall and stuff like that. And this is the the finals of Pro Tour Oath of the Gatewatch. And one of the players who's playing uh, an Eldrazi deck has Cavern of Souls in their deck. So it's a land, you know, you name a creature type, when you play it, you can tap it for any color to cast that creature type. And it, it was to be able to cast Uncounterable Eldrazi. This deck also had Simeon Spirit Guide, which is the 2-2 the you can pitch for a red, which is obviously there to accelerate out Eldrazi. But I started setting this up because I could see this was going to happen in about two turns, which was they drew Cavern of Souls mm -hmm. in their colorless deck, but already had a Cavern of naming Eldrazi out. And I said, I explained why they were going to play Cavern of Souls naming Ape to cast their Simeon Spirit Guide, which is just like a very odd sequence of plays altogether. And I was doing commentary with Marshall. I don't know. It was one of the one of the more fun moments uh, that I've ended up having in commentary. Okay, so we move on to probably your biggest accomplishment, I think, uh, uh, as a, a Magic player, is 2013, you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. So let's talk, how did that come about? What, what was that like getting inducted into the Hall of Fame? Uh, it was incredible. I mean, it's one of 
certainly one of my best memories when it comes to magic. Uh, I got inducted alongside Ben Stark and William Jensen, who are two of my closest friends as well. And uh, it, it was really cool just getting this, you know, like getting this validation that I've done something for magic, that I deserve to be there, that my results are good. And uh, honestly, it's not just about results. The, you know, results aren't the only thing that go into the Hall of Fame. And it was something that motivated me a lot, too. I remember... Um, in 2010 at Pro Tour San Diego, I was like 12 and 0. So I was locked for top eight. Mm -hmm. And I played my next round because I got paired down and I was 13 and 0. And at this point, 100% locked. I could lose my next three rounds and make it. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going to try to go 16 and 0 because no one's ever done that. And mm -hmm. that will help me get into the Hall of Fame. And I ended up doing that. And I remember when I went 16 and 0, I thought, you know, I've got a really good chance at making the Hall of Fame now. And it was just something that means a lot to me because. I don't know, Magic's been a part of my life for now 27 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's undoubtedly like the biggest single influence in my life besides my parents. And so getting to be in the Hall of Fame, it's the sort of thing too where like if you tell someone who doesn't know anything about Magic that you're in the Hall of Fame, like they know that means something. <laughs> you know, you can explain what a pro tour is to then tell them you, you've top eight a bunch. But for someone who doesn't play Magic, a pro tour could be a 10-person tournament. They, they don't really have any context there. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, getting getting into the Hall of Fame was was huge for me. So where did you get inducted? Uh, we were in Dublin. Uh, yeah, we were in Dublin. Oh, that's, cool. that's a good place to get inducted. <laughs> yeah, no, Dublin's awesome. Um, uh, they've since actually made the ceremony and the timing a lot better. The induction was ten minutes before round one started. Oh, of the, right of the Pro Tour, which is like honestly one of the worst times you could pick because. No one's really wanting to watch because everyone's stressing about sleeving their deck and getting ready for round one. Mm -hmm. We knew we had to go play in our like suits and stuff like that. And yeah. like you didn't give speeches or anything. The, the, the dinners they have now are much nicer. But honestly, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> so something else that the average person might not know is uh, what do you get when you, you get into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> uh, you get a you get a very nice ring, like a Super Bowl ring. And then uh, you get lifetime invites to Pro Tours. Kind of weird to talk about that right now because Pro Tours don't exist right now and Hall of Famers aren't currently getting invited to anything. So. I mean, the, the ring was the ring was part. Of, that was actually kind of cool. I don't know <laughs> well, if people well, know well, that the ring that there's a actual Hall yeah, of Fame ring. I, I've got it with all my cool magic stuff. Though I, it's not not the kind of ring you wear around town. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little 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 splashy. Yeah, here's a little tip. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, as, as one of the people that put together the Hall of Fame. The uh, the invites for the players was added at like the absolute last minute as as a oh why don't we invite them to future like that that was an afterthought that we did very very late in the game. Um, well, it has contributed to like John Finkel playing and Kai Booty playing in a, a lot more uh, tournaments, which I think is pretty cool. Also, I, I hear we're gonna get a new revamped Hall of Fame at some point, and I. I, I'm speaking for myself that there's no way you shouldn't be in it. I've always thought that was some an oversight with, or at least it was hard for me to kind of have a Magic Hall of Fame without you in it. But, you know, uh, that, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, my, my joke had been if I could get 100 pro points, I think I'd be a shoe-in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose that's true. <laughs> um, so anyway, we are almost, I'm almost to my desk here. So is there anything in, in your years of Magic, I was trying to hit upon all the different things you've done, but did I miss anything? Is there anything sort of... Uh, Something you want to hit upon that I didn't touch? No, I think I think that uh, that it has done a good job of summarizing the all the different places the the game has taken me. Well, I, wa I want to say that one of the things. So here's a, a, a game I, I normally play with people. Uh, do you remember the first time we met? Oof. Uh, 
And, and was that? I think it, I think I do. Yeah. So the, the running joke is, I'll tell you when I think I first met you, but the, usually they met me before I remember meeting them. That's the running joke in the show. So um, I'll tell you the first time I think we met, and see if it's the same thing. So I think we first met at PT Barcelona. Okay, I so that was in 2011, something like that? Something like that. Okay, I also thought I met you in 2011, but I thought it was at the Community Cup. But uh, Oh, okay, I mean, the, the Community Cup was before Barcelona, then you met me at the Community Cup. Okay, whichever one of those. I don't, I don't remember which one which one came first, but it was it was something like that. Remember, so I, I was at PT Barcelona, because uh, the one before that was, we first, it was the first time we had done constant all-day coverage, right? Before that, yeah. we the finals were coverage, but we didn't do all-day coverage. And I was very excited, so I went to PT Barcelona, which was the second one we had done. Yeah. Um, and you came up and introduced yourself to me. That's why I remember. I remember. Okay, so, so I guess I guess you 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 were right then. That was that was before the community. Cup. Okay. <laughs> I got to turn it around on you. I guess uh, you did. You did. <laughs> so it is it is great talking with you. And like I said, the uh, uh, okay. So you can do a little plugging here. So obviously you do limited resources. So if you want to listen to you and Marshall talk about magic every week, uh, where else can people see you? Where else can people read you or listen to you? Uh, you can all go to channelfireball.com. Uh, that's where I, all articles and videos all get posted. Uh, LRcast.com is a good place to find limited resources. And then uh, twitch.tv slash LSV is my stream. And I stream uh, maybe a couple times a month, uh, depending on what, what I'm what I'm feeling up to. And uh, also I'm at uh, LSV on Twitter. So yeah, I've got a lot of places for my nonsense if you're so inclined. Okay, well, I wanna I wanna thank you. I, I I see my desk here, so as we all know, uh, we know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to thank you too. I think that you've been a hugely positive force for magic, and I've loved magic my entire life. So I I, I would feel remiss if I didn't thank you for your contributions to that. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice. Okay, everybody, uh, I will see you all next week. Bye bye. <laughs>